Behind me are three crosses, symbolically representing three people. To my left is the cross of rejection. One criminal hung and rejected the cross of redemption, Jesus Christ, the hope and the Savior of the world. To my right is another cross, the cross of repentance. Both criminals had a chance to trust in the cross of redemption and the gift of Jesus Christ. Both hung on the same hill. Both were there for the same crime. Both had a choice to make while they only had minutes to live. One chose to trust in the work of Jesus and to spend his last 30, 35 minutes with Christ and eternity with him. One rejected and has been burning in hell for 2,000 years. You still have a choice because you're still breathing, but you might be like these criminals. You might have 30 minutes to live. The choice is yours. Jesus, while hanging on the cross, heard both of them make requests. One responded, finding Jesus as useful. Another responded, finding Jesus as essential. What was Jesus' response to them? Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go on a journey and find out. And turn to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read verses 32 to 43. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Would you stand in the auditorium here and in the south auditorium with me as we read this account? Luke 23, verses 32 to 43. Let's read it together. Ready? Read. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him and said, They say he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You may have a seat. Death is imminent for everyone, including you. It's just a matter of time. Your time stamp has been stamped already. You will die, I will die, unless the rapture occurs. And the truth is this, both men would die soon as they were hanging on this cross. 
and most likely from suffocation. There was nothing that neither of them could do at the moment that could change that reality. They could not crawl off the cross by themselves. They were justly being executed for the crimes they had committed. In fact, in verse 32, if you look again, it says this. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out. The word criminal in the Greek, the English doesn't show it as much, but in the Greek, it's the idea of an insurrectionist. These criminals, from the language we can see, were insurrectionists. They were rebels that were trying to overthrow government or leadership. And so because they tried to usurp authority, they were placed on the cross justly for what they were trying to do. The one criminal on the right said, we are here for what we've done. We deserve execution. We are justly being crucified for what we've done. The crimes they were committed, that they committed, were justly being paid on the cross. They were belligerent and they knew they had it coming. And so their crimes equaled their punishment. Jesus, on the other hand, is sinless. There was nothing that he had done. In fact, the criminal on the right said, he's not being executed for what he's done. He is sinless. It was a gruesome scene, and we saw that on Good Friday as we, as we walked and remembered this past Good Friday here. Jesus hung on the cross. Yet he had time to have a conversation with some criminals. Just pause and think about that for a moment. Even in his death, even in his final moments, Jesus was an evangelist. Jesus was on mission to his very last breath. He came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. Hear me out. That should be our mission too, to seek and save lost people. In his final moments, he had enough time to communicate to the criminal beside him, today I will see you in paradise with me. He never lost sight of his mission, even while hanging on the cross. I hope this doesn't get lost in this crucifixion. How many of us remain on mission when sickness and trials and hardships and bad news comes our way? How many of us remain on mission when hospice has been called in for us or someone we love? When Yoder, Kalp, Wreath, Air, and Rort are outside? How many of us are remaining on mission, talking to nurses and doctors and hospice care people up to our last breath. Jesus remained on mission even while he was being executed and crucified for our sins. Even to his last breath of oxygen, Jesus wanted these men to know he loved them. When he was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 9, 27. It says, for man is destined to die once and then face judgment. There aren't any second chances for any of you or for me. When we die and, and your casket is rolled up to the front of the church or the funeral home and people go walking by and they remember you and they show their love for you, the Bible says that your soul and your spirit is gone and your body is dead. There is nothing you can change in that moment concerning your eternity. You die once 
and you face judgment. Either you face Jesus and he says, come on home, or you spend an eternity in hell like this criminal has for 2,000 years. The choice is yours while you're on this side of life. Salvation cries out today, not tomorrow, from these two criminals on this hill. The only hope they had was hanging on the cross beside them. These men would soon have funerals and family members would gather and some preacher would come and say nice things about them. But what he would say would never change their eternal home. It must be on this side of death. The same is true for you and me. We will die. And you and I will not be able to change the resting place of your soul. Hell will be full of tomorrow people who intended to be saved. Hell will be full of tomorrow people. One of these days, I'll wait next week. Come back Wednesday and talk to me. Wait till I'm through high school. Wait till I go here and go. There will be people in hell full of tomorrow kinds of people who say one of these days and death could knock on their door today. And you could be one of those people who, who would be like this criminal that wished he could come back to Golgotha and say, remember me. When you go into your kingdom. One man recognized his need of salvation. One didn't. In fact, in verse 39, it says this from Good Friday Verse 39 says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Mark, the recording of this actually shows in Mark 15, 32 that both initially hurled insults, but one finally came to understanding of who he was. Both recorded. A couple things must be brought to light. These men were fully aware who Jesus was because they even said, aren't you the Messiah? If you're the Messiah and the chosen one, then this one said, listen, take us down. Let me go to work on Monday. You can save us. He wanted to be saved so he continued to live the life he wanted to. This man chose to be saved and repent of his sin and trust. He didn't want to come down from the cross. He wanted Jesus to stay there, and he was willing to die and stay there too as long as Jesus would remember him on the other side. Verse 40 says this. Verse 40 says, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said to the man to his left, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. He asked him, the man on the right asked the man on the left, don't you fear God? Don't you know he's the Messiah? Don't you know he can control your future? Don't you know he's the sinless sacrifice that has come for, to atone for your sin? How can you mock him? The other reality about this journey of death for Jesus, if you back it up when he began this journey, the criminal on the hill is the only person along the way of Jesus' death journey that stood up for Jesus. No one else did. 
the disciples' head. The Jews accused him. The people picked Barabbas to be set free. Pilate washed his hands clean. Yet the only person who stood up for Jesus was the criminal on the cross. Think about that for a moment. Many could have spoken on the behalf of Jesus. Peter could have said, I am a follower of Jesus, but he denied him three times. I wonder what you would do. Jesus found more comfort on the cross from a criminal than he did in the Garden of Gethsemane from his own followers. That just breaks my heart. How many of us are willing to take a stand for Jesus? How many of us have even articulated the gospel to an unsaved person this week? They're everywhere. You, you went shopping. You recreated. You went to the gym. You went to work. You had parents drop off kids. You had teachers around you. And how many of you have spoke once what the gospel is? Jesus found more comfort on the cross than he did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweated blood drops from his sweat pores. The choices you make on this side of death impacts your eternity forever. Watch what happens next in verse 42. Then this criminal on his right said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And listen, he doesn't ask to be taken down. This man wanted to be taken down so he could go back to his regular job. Instead of asking for the life he wants, he wants to make God his life. Do you see the difference between this man and this criminal? The other criminal was seeking help from God, not seeking God for himself. He wanted Jesus to rescue him so he could get down from the cross and live his life. He says, why don't you save us? He was more concerned about himself than the sins of his life. One criminal saw Jesus as useful the other as essential. He wanted a get out of hell card. Maybe that's been the case for you. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're banking on a useful response to Jesus. Jesus, keep me from going to hell. And you're somehow thinking that's a repentant heart. We have a cross of repentance a cross of rejection, and a cross of redemption. Redemption is where Jesus took all of our sins, and by grace, through faith alone, we know him personally. One criminal says, come down. The other says, stay here and remember me. What does remember me even mean? You see, he knew the only way to get to heaven was if Jesus called his name. The Bible says that there's a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And this Lamb's Book of Life has been inked in from the foundation of the world because we're saved from the foundation of the world. But from the foundation of the world, there is this book that's been written. And if your name is written in it, then you 
will enter heaven. And symbolically, this book will be opened up. And when you stand before Jesus, he goes through the book, he turns the pages, he looks for your name, and he says, oh, I remember you, and you can come in. His name was remembered. And if your name's not in the Lamb's book alike, Revelation says, you will be tossed into the lake of fire. He was crucified, but he was a crucified man trusting in a crucified Savior. He wanted to make sure he would be remembered when the coroner came for his body and pronounced him dead. Can I be really brutally honest with our world today? We have to get more serious about our souls than our skin. Some of us are so entrapped with more, so entrapped with what I want, so entrapped with our plans, so entrapped with getting and saving and achieving. And we lay restless at night trying to walk through plans and trying to think about what's next for me, for us. We're more concerned about what we wear and what we own and where we live and what we have and where we go. And we consume our minds with our skin. And all the while, we could care less about our souls. We need to be consumed with our souls and other souls too. Jesus was. Years ago, when the military wanted to recognize and remembered who the dead were, there is a history behind a chain and a tag called a dog tag. And if you went into the military and you first entered in, they would give you and they give you dog tags. In 1950, they changed them up a little bit. In 1950, they actually issued two dog tags. One was shorter than the other one. And so any military man or woman that began service for our country is issued two tags. One is shorter than the other. In 1950, the short one, if a man or woman died in battle... They took the short one off and they wrapped it around the toe of the dead person so that the name and the identity of that person could be remembered. And so when this body was shipped back to their home, they had a tag and they called them toe tags. The other tag was given in remembrance to the family so that they knew that their son or daughter, husband, wife, friend had served. During the Vietnam War, bodies were so mangled and tangled and dismembered that many of our brave warriors, men and women, who fought for freedom were so dismembered that they took the short chain, instead of placing it on their toe, they tied them to their boots. And so in this body bag were their boots and a dog tag that let people know who they were. So the bones and the flesh were shipped back with a tag that says, remember me. This is who I am. They're given 
a dog tag, so that their loved ones will remember who they are when they die. Obviously, technology has advanced now with DNA, but dog tags are here to stay, and what they're saying is, this is who I remember me. This man on the cross was looking at Jesus and saying, remember me. Remember this moment. Remember my name. When you enter, the, when you open up that Lamb's book of life, identify me as trusting in you so that when I'm dead and my body is taken out and my soul is sent on and my spirit, and when an angel comes and, and makes that transport, let them see the identity as bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. At the cross of repentance, the criminal asks to remember him. These two words would bring salvation to his soul. He boldly dared upon the grace of God. He knew he was guilty. He knew what he had done and what he had done had justified his crucifixion and execution. But here's the good news. Not only when Christ calls our name and we trust in him and the work on the cross, we not only get hope for the future, but we get hope for the now. Hope beyond the grave is phenomenal. But even hope today. When we trust in Jesus Christ today, we have what we call living hope. Hope for that friend that has cancer. Hope for your broken marriage. Hope for your confused child. Hope for, for that, that bill that keeps knocking on your door. Hope for the news report from your doctor. Hope for all the regrets that your mind is filled with. Hope when you are feeling lonely and depressed. Hope for you as you wonder how as a single mom or dad you can make it. Hope for you when you lose your job. Hope for you that you'll be taken care of in old age. Hope, real hope, real hope, risen hope. Easter kind of hope is available to us who know Christ. This man boldly dared upon the grace of God by asking, please remember me. He knew he was guilty. He knew what he'd done deserved death. But he also knew that the only way to save his life was through the cross of redemption, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's only by grace through faith alone. There was nothing he could do to earn his salvation. And by the way, there still isn't anything that we can do to earn our salvation. It's been done for us. It's not us doing it. Besides, what good thing could this man ever do in 30 minutes of life while hanging on a cross? This is a crazy request, if you ask me. And the only thing crazier is Jesus grants his request. And that's what he does for us. Verse 43, look at Jesus' response. Verse 43, 
Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus could extend forgiveness to them because he was being punished for them. All the suffering of the world was hanging on the cross. I want you to look at a word that's very significant in in this verse, verse 43. Look at Jesus' response in 43. He says, truly I tell you. The word truly, if you were to look at it in the Greek, it would read this way. It's the word amen. It looks just like it in the Greek. And so Jesus said, amen. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Why amen? The word amen means so be it. And so what Jesus is saying, it's a done deal. I'll see you on the other side in 35 minutes. That's what Jesus can do. And by the way, he can still do that. You see, this criminal was asking for a future thing. Jesus gave him a present gift. (laughs) Today, I will see you in paradise. His dead life would be interrupted with eternal life. When Jesus remembers your name, it's a game changer for eternity. Jesus tells him, I got you covered with the blood and I'm shedding it on the cross for you. Two words from this criminal would usher him into paradise. His journey with Jesus would be over quickly. But these were the best 30 minutes of his life. Paul would later try to describe this soul and spirit leaving our bodies in 2 Corinthians 5 8. He said this to be absent from our bodies, in other words, when you see that casket and that dead body is there, to, to be absent from the body when our soul and spirit leaves when we die, to be absent from our body is to be present with Jesus. And the moment that this criminal died, he met his creator, God, face to face. And only Jesus can do that. You see, when you know who you are in Christ, whether or not you succeed in life becomes less important to you because you have all that you need in Jesus Christ. Concerns of your soul are greater than concerns of your skin because his life was given for us. The repentant criminal understood his own sin and realized that Jesus was without sin and he called upon him to be saved. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is no doubt in my mind that he had a change of heart from the earlier passages saying he hurled insults. And he now had an inner joy. Now he went from death to life, from a a dead heart to a live heart, from an old man to a new man, from, from hell to heaven, from an eternity away from God to an eternity with God forever, all in a moment of time when he said, remember me. And Jesus said, truly, so be it. I will see you. Bam. And only Jesus can do that. Let me just say something. I believe this with all of my heart. If you aren't sure you are saved, then it's probably because you think salvation's about you. 
Are you that person who's, I hope I'm saved. Boy, I'm not sure. The reality is probably the reason that you're struggling with that is because you think it's about you. You need to live up. You need to do more. You need to keep. You need to earn. You need to achieve. Listen, salvation has nothing to do with our works. It has been done through Jesus' work on the cross. I want you to process that with me for a second. It has nothing to do with us. And when you think it's about you, then you're just trying to earn it. Let me pull away and explain it. Some people want to front load the gospel. Some people want to back load the gospel. Let me explain what I mean for a second. Some people want to front load it and say, I need to do, 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 do. I need to earn, earn, earn. I need to be a good person. I need to, give good. I need to do all these things. And then the gospel, I'll be saved. They front load it. They're doing, they're doing. They're digging, they're earning, they're achieving. Others try to back load the gospel. Now that I got the gospel, now that I'm saved, I'm backloading it. I'm pulling the bulldozer. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. I got to keep working. I got to keep earning. I got to keep adding. Oh, man, I failed. I, I, and so you go on this journey. It's like somehow you're trying to be the one to get it and keep it. Listen, it's already been done through Christ. He gives it and he keeps it. Salvation's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Jesus not only died for us, he died instead of us. And aren't you glad? Martin Luther explained what Jesus became on the cross by saying this. Listen to this. Luther said, all the prophets foresaw that on the cross, Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, and blasphemer that there ever was. Luther said, our most merciful father sent his only son into the world and said to him, Jesus, you will become Peter, the denier. Jesus, you will become Paul, the persecutor, the blasphemer, the cruel oppressor. Jesus, you will become David, that adulterer. Jesus, you will become Adam, the sinner which, did not, which, which ate the apple in the garden. Jesus, you will become the husband who has neglected or abused his family. Jesus, you will become the immoral woman who has destroyed not only her own life, but seemingly everyone who come in contact with her. Jesus, you will become the drug addict. Jesus, you will become the teenage girl lying to her parents. Jesus, you will become the hypocrite living a double life. Jesus, you will become the gambler. Jesus, you will become the worst version of us on the cross. And if we make the great exchange, our sin for his sacrifice, we are saved. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what the cross has done. You know what we did for our salvation? We gave him our sin in exchange for salvation. That's craziness. But that's the gospel. And that's why this criminal is spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. Paul would try to describe this in Ephesians. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter one. He tries to describe this benefit, this exchange that took place when we come to Christ and how good it is to know Jesus. And turn to Ephesians chapter one with me, please. And, and, and look at verse 17, Ephesians one. Paul tried to describe it 
And he says, when we come to Christ, this is what takes place. And he says in Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He, then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, grace community, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his what? What's your Bible say? Feet. And appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If you ever travel to Cambodia and Thailand, in fact, if you ever go to Asia, Southeast Asia, there are customs and cultures that you must be familiar with. And so when we lead teams, or I, I've loved probably 25 mission trips across the world, and one of the things that you communicate is you don't want to bust culture as Westerners. And if you go to Asia or Cambodia or Thailand, and I've been there multiple times, when you're with the children in the orphan homes there, our precious family there, when you sit down, as an American and a Westerner at 50 plus years old, after spending all day in a swimming pool, after being all day kicking a ball and playing soccer, I'm wiped out. And so you gather at night for a meal, and the first thing I want to do is go like this because I'm tired. But in Asia, you would never sit like this. And so, in Asia, if you show your feet to someone, it's a disgrace. It means you are a dog. I disrespect you. And so you never show someone the bottoms of your feet because that's the dirtiest part of your body. And so when you're there, you're supposed to sit like this. And at 59 years old... Two hours of this, oh, Jesus, can we have the rapture? <laughs> but out of respect to the people and the kids that I love, they're our family, I said like this, and I am in agony. <laughs> Why? Because I will not show my feet because it would be disrespectful to do so, the bottoms of my feet. The text says this, that Jesus is seated far above all darkness, principalities, evil, Satan himself. And the picture is this, that in heaven, when Jesus rose from the grave, he's now seated in heaven far above. So he's in a chair. Literally, he's in a chair, seated above. And as he's seated above, when he looks far below, because he's far above, what does he see? He sees Satan and his demons and evil and schemes of the wicked one. And while he's looking down, the enemy has to look up. And what does the enemy see? The bottoms of Jesus' feet. Why? Jesus saying, I disrespect you. You are a dog, Satan. He is seated high and above and far above. There's good news. Look at chapter 2 and verse 6. 
look what happens to us when we trust in Jesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 6 says, and God raised us, what? What's it say? Up with who? And what with us? What did he do? Seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is such a good reminder because if we really realize who we are in Christ, now look here. You die one day and you'll finally understand this better. But right now, when you come to Christ, it says that God seats us with Christ. So picture, if you can, metaphorically, the moment that you come to Christ or the moment that you die and you're in heaven and there's this, this, this throne room of God and in this throne room of God, Jesus is seated high and far above all evil. And you're entering heaven and you're looking way down there and you see Jesus and Jesus goes, come here. You're like, yeah, yeah, come to the throne room. Me in the throne room of God? I'm just Jim Brown. Yeah, come here. And as you get closer, he says, come, come, come. And then he says, sit right here. I'm, Me? B beside you? Yeah, sit down. Ephesians 2, 6 said that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies when we come to him. Why don't you picture this for a second? So you're there and Jesus says, hey, you like that seat? It's good. Then he says, you know what? The same power that was in me when I resurrected myself in the grave lives in you. Then he says, hey, Jim, take a look. What do you see down there? Whoa. I see Satan and demons and temptation and darkness and evil and all the schemes of the wicked one. They're all way down there. And Jesus says, guess where you're seated? Far above all that. <laughs> and then... You kind of put your feet out. He says, where are your feet, Jim? They're right here. No, no, no. Your feet are far above. And when the enemy looks up, he sees himself disrespected and he is a dog. <laughs> think about this. Think, think, think. Positionally, we give God our sin and he gives us his position. Think about this for a second. And while you're seated there, it's like your feet are dangling over the edge of heaven. And you look to your left, your feet and my feet dangle with Jesus' feet. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's what happened at the point of salvation. Truly, I will see you in paradise. So be it. That's our position in Christ. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you walk in that power? How many of you walk in that authority? How many of you live a defeated life thinking that you don't have power over the enemy? Your feet, the souls, disrespect him far above. He doesn't have a chance because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Both criminals had a choice to make. One chose Jesus and is in heaven and his feet are dangling right now. The other didn't 
and he's burning in hell. If you go to a tombstone or someone dies, you often see R.I.P. You know what R.I.P. is for those of us who know Christ? Rejoicing in paradise. We're not resting in peace. We're rejoicing in paradise. And for those like the criminal who wanted God to be useful and not essential, he's lost in hell forever. What will you choose today? Paradise is a place, just listen, this is just, this is just a spoonful of heaven. A place where there will be no sin, no tears, no pain, no worries, no brokenness, no sickness, no mask, no lies, no temptation. No feelings of inadequacy, no fear, no regrets, no funeral homes, no news stations, no garnish wages, no prisons, no lust, no addiction, but perfect love in every way with everyone where we will find utter joy in the presence of Jesus forever. That's what we're offered in Christ. On the other hand, Lost in hell. My Bible says it's a real place. It's a place where they'll cry out in utter pain, where there is eternal fire and the worm doesn't die. It's utter separation. And hear me out, it is not a party in hell. They long for one drop of water to be placed on their tongues. Yet they will never get it. And this man has been burning in hell forever, for 2,000 years. Let me ask you a question today. Have you truly trusted in Jesus Christ and repented of your sin? Or are you like the criminal who just wanted Jesus as a get-out-of-hell card? Hell will be full of tomorrow people who intended to call on the name of Jesus, but it was too late. Would you pray with me? Please don't leave the auditorium. We'll make time for the the Easter egg hunt. We need to be more concerned about our souls and our skin. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Jim, my heart is pounding out of my chest and I feel like I'm the only one in the room and I don't know that I know that I know. And I circle with reason of doubt and wondering if I am. Well, maybe, just maybe, you haven't truly trusted in the grace of Jesus alone. And maybe... Just maybe you haven't repented of your sin. Please, don't leave this room unless you have trusted in the cross of redemption. That's why Jesus came. All your sins, past, present, and future, hung on his back at Calvary. And if we, by faith through grace, accept this free gift... He will remember us in paradise.
The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and we confess him as Lord and Savior and we trust in him by grace through faith alone, not by works, that we will be saved. Truly, amen, so be it today. If you're in this room or in the South Auditorium and you're uncertain and you're saying, I, I want to trust in Jesus. I not only want him for eternity, but I want to live for him now. The Bible says that if we confess with our hearts those words, that we'll be saved. That confession comes through prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. The prayer is just a reflection of what your heart is already doing. So if today's the day you want to say, Pastor Jim, I don't want to burn in hell. I don't want a useful God. I want God to be essential, the Lord and leader of my life. Then pray with me quietly. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am lost and headed to hell because of my sin. Please forgive me of my sin. Remember me and your new kingdom. I choose to follow you and repent of my sin. And I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I love you, Jesus. The Bible says, if with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if we articulate that and we believe in our hearts that we're saved, I think it's important in these kind of moments, and it's been happening all morning, we've had tons of people that have made that decision to follow Jesus. Would you do something for me right now? And if you're in the South Auditorium, Pastor Charlie's there, and here in the North Auditorium, if today you said, Pastor Jim, I made that decision to trust in Jesus, would you do something for me as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed? Just, just hold your hand up where you're seated there. Just, just, let me just rejoice with you. Just don't be afraid. Just hold up. There, there it is. I see him. Hold him up. Don't be ashamed. Praise God. All over God, this auditorium, there are new addresses for you on earth. God, we're grateful that salvation didn't stop at the cross, but it, it continues today. Could I ask you to stand in our auditoriums for a moment, please? We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. In my hand is a dog tag, and on the cross behind Pastor Jeremy are are these dog tags. And on these dog tags, it says, remember me, April 4, 2021. We want you to have one of these, those of you who trusted Christ. I saw who you were, like, praise God, and we want to rejoice with you. And so, if you're in the South Auditorium, we want you to come over. Pastor Charlie will bring you over. But if you're here in the North, I just want you to come up. We want you to have this. You can put it around your neck as a reminder you can hang it on your mirror of your car. And when the enemy wants to come and bring condemnation, you say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. April 4, 2021. 
he remembered me. So I ask you to come. Come, I saw you. Let's celebrate. As we sing, just make your way across the stage and grab one of these dog tags from the cross. Just come. Come as we sing.